Well, a happy new year to everyone. Um, some people have had it said to them, some haven't, so I'll just say it generally. Uh, wishing you all God's richest blessings in the year ahead. Our call to worship comes from the letter to the church at Ephesus. And there's a selection of verses from the first chapter of that letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. We come now to God with our prayers of approach, after which we will join together in saying the Lord's Prayer. And as is our custom here, we will say it in our own first languages and whichever version is most familiar to us. But just in case you're not familiar with it, the words will be on the screen. So let's pray together. We come to you, loving God, with thankful hearts, grateful for the everyday blessings that enable us to go about our ordinary lives, aware that, however challenging our lives may be, we have access to support and services envied across the globe. Appreciating the freedom that we have to travel and to gather for worship, and glad that those who came before us shared with us their faith, prayed earnestly and served diligently, enabling us to discover your love for us and for all creation. We admit that sometimes we do arrive here less than enthusiastically. We carry with us burdens of guilt or anger, regret or remorse, And sometimes we do come out of habit, not really seeking you. And other times we don't even really know quite why we come, but we come all the same. However we've come today, and however we're feeling, we know that you are faithful and will forgive us all our failings and faults. We know that your spirit is active, helping us in our endeavours to worship. We know that you long to speak to us, deep within our hearts and minds, to enable us to live out our faith in Jesus Christ. And for all of this, we give you thanks and praise, joining together in the pattern of prayer that Jesus taught to his followers, saying, Our Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and 
Uh, We have two readings this morning, first from Ecclesiasticus at chapter 24. Let us listen for the word of God. Wisdom speaks her own praises. In the midst of her people, she glories in herself. She opens her mouth in the assembly of the Most High. She glories in herself in the presence of the Mighty One. I came forth from the mount of the Most High, and I covered the earth like mist. I had my tent in the heights and my throne in a pillar of cloud. Alone, I encircled the vault of the sky, and I walked in the bottom of the deeps. Over the waves of the sea and over the whole earth and over every people and nation, I have held sway. Among all these, I searched for rest, and I looked to see in whose territory I might pitch camp. Then the creator of all things instructed me, and he who created me fixed a place for my tent. He said, pitch your tent in Jacob, make Israel your inheritance. From eternity, in the beginning, he created me, and for eternity, I shall remain. I ministered before him in the holy tabernacle, and thus I was established in Zion. In the beloved city he has given me rest, and in Jerusalem I wield my authority. I have taken root in a privileged people in the Lord's property, in his inheritance. And then, at the beginning of the Gospel, according to John. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God In the beginning. Through him all things came to be, and not one thing had its being but through him. All that came to be had life in him, and that life was the light of men, a light that shines in the dark, a light that darkness could not overpower. A man came, sent by God. His name was John. He came as a witness, as a witness to speak for the light, so that everyone might believe through him. He was not the light, only a witness to speak for the light. The word was the true light that enlightens all men. He was coming into the world He was in the world that had its being through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own domain, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who did accept him, he gave power to become children of God. To all who believe in him, 
who was born not out of human stock or urge of the flesh or will of man, but of God himself. And so the word was made flesh. He lived among us and we saw his glory, the glory that is his as the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. John appears as his witness. He proclaims, This is the one of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he existed before me. Indeed, from his fullness, we have, all of us, received, yes, grace in return for grace, since through the law was given, since through the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth have come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is the only Son who is nearest to the Father's heart who has made him known. Before the beginning, God. Before wisdom. Before the Word. In the beginning, into chaos, darkness, and void, God's wisdom came forth from the mouth of God, as God's word announced, let there be light. God's spirit hovering over the yet formless creation, God's Christ Proclaiming eternal truth before time began. The Word became flesh and lived among us. The Word, the source of all life, bearing light into the continuing chaos, darkness, and emptiness of creation. The inextinguishable light, penetrating, dispersing, absorbing the darkness, bringing enlightenment and lightness, order, meaning, and purpose. Scripture is rich in metaphor and symbol. Human writers inspired by the very wisdom of which they speak employ inadequate human words to express a mystery beyond comprehension. Sometimes in parable and prose, sometimes in poetry and prophecy. Always attuned to listen for the word of God, always aspiring to express the inexpressible, to fathom the unfathomable, to share the story of the God who is love. The Bible. A library of wonder, a treasure trove of stories, 
a window into things beyond. Sometimes viewed as an example of ancient literature to be dissected and analysed, critiqued and commented upon, an interesting but um, ultimately largely irrelevant enterprise. Oftentimes reduced to little more than a textbook, a rule book, an instruction manual for those who are heaven-bound, for who has not heard the contrived late 20th century acronym, B-I-B-L-E, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. Among believers, a sacred text, exalted above all others, used, misused, and abused. Deemed infallible by some, source of proof text to prohibit or permit, silences employed inconsistently to prohibit that which Scripture does not explicitly permit, or to permit that which Scripture does not explicitly prohibit, or indeed any variation on that theme. Other believers recognise internal errors shock, horror, incorrect references to Hebrew scriptures from the New Testament. Discrepancies, inconsistencies and contradictions, seeking not for detailed rules and precise instructions, but rather searching for principles and patterns. So many ways to approach it. So many alternative readings and understandings, none intrinsically definitive. And even if some are clearly wrong-headed, most, if not all, are sincere in their quest for truth and light. The Bible is a wonderful complicated, easily ridiculed and aggressively critiqued set of writings. And yet. And yet for half of the world's population this quirky, bewildering, frustrating collection of ancient religious writing continues to be regarded as a source of truth. That contained within it is something that will help to dispel the darkness, to help to order the chaos. That here may be found wise words, helpful principles, comforting and encouraging thoughts. That there is still more light and truth to be released from this book of books which enables us to seek the word of God as, guided by God's wisdom, we read, reflect, study, and even discuss its contents. It is, I am sure, no coincidence whatsoever that the Christian Reformation movements across Europe 
emerged in the wake of a technological revolution that was called the printing press. This enabled the rapid mass production of books comparatively cheaply and easily disseminated. The early translations of the Bible into the vernacular by the likes of Wycliffe, Tyndale, Coverdale and countless others were printed and were eagerly received by those who were able to read them. Now, as never before, ordinary people, albeit the relatively privileged ordinary people, could see for themselves what the scriptures said and begin to ponder for themselves the truths contained in these marvellous stories. The early dissenters, who included the forerunners of what are now known as Baptists and Congregationalists and Presbyterians, among others, delighted in the scriptures and sought to discern communally, at least in the case of Baptists and Congregationalists, what God might be saying to them about faith, about the church, about society and the wider world. From those very early days, there were differences in understanding. And it's not really such a surprise that this inevitable diversity continues to be reflected in the Baptist Declaration of Principle, the first article of which states this. (coughs) Excuse me. That our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, is the sole and absolute authority in all matters pertaining to faith and practice, as revealed in the Holy Scriptures, and that each church has liberty, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to interpret and administer his laws. That's all kind of dressed up in that very careful language, deliberately, because it allows people with different views to agree with it as a valid statement. Because this is a statement that locates ultimate authority not with the Bible, but with God. God as revealed to us in Jesus. And that is a really significant thing that has bound Baptists together for centuries. Our authority is Jesus Christ. Not the creeds and doctrines formulated over the last two millennia, however clever, however careful, and however wonderful they are. Our authority is Christ Jesus. Of course, the primary means by which we discover Jesus, Jesus who is the word of God, is via the human words divinely inspired in the scriptures. Things that were written in a particular place, at a specific time and for a selected readership that wasn't ours. Written for people who didn't know what a telephone was or a printing press or what it might mean to have uh, viruses or technology to create ears in laboratories or whatever it was. This was a very different world. Even so, these words were believed to be useful for us. And so reading of it is inevitably contextual, as the interpretation is contextual in different places, different times in history, all sorts of languages, different socio-economic and political systems. But within all of that, 
as Baptists, we recognize and affirm this central tenet, that each local church is free as the Spirit of God, God's wisdom, leads it to interpret and apply what is discovered. In other words, what we as Baptists say is both that we take the Bible very seriously and that we also recognise the task of interpreting and applying it, of seeking and discerning the voice of God within it, can never, ever be complete. We've never finally got to that final answer and the music goes and the thing happens. We don't watch Do What's Be a Millionaire, do we? No? Okay. (laughs) Each church, each generation... And each community has the privilege and the responsibility to read, mark, learn and inwardly digest, as my father used to say, what is discovered. It's not a mere catechism. It's not rote learning. It's a lifetime of commitment. If we believe, as is very often quoted, that the word of God is alive and active then surely we have to follow through by engaging with that. It is a belief that in the words of the hymn we will sing shortly, there is always, always more light and more truth to be discovered. That sounds all right, doesn't it? And we can kind of nod approvingly as one or two people are doing. But it's never that easy, is it? Never so straightforward in reality. Because actually... We all like to think that what we think, the way we understand it, the things we have been taught, are the right ones. And there is a risk that we dismiss or demean as inferior understandings that we once held, but perhaps no longer do so. Forgetting that for somebody else who's taken a different journey... Those understandings might be the result of equally demanding soul-searching and reflection. If we all thought alike, if we all understood the Bible exactly the same, it might make things easier for me. I wouldn't have to be quite so careful in my words sometimes. But I have a suspicion, a real suspicion, that we would be the losers. Because... If we all just thought the same and it was all neat and tidy, we wouldn't get stretched. The Baptist Declaration for Principle enshrines the idea that biblical interpretation, the quest for more light and truth, is always contextual and never complete. (coughs) Sorry. If we keep that in mind, I think we head in a useful direction. Now, when I was preparing this sermon, I wrote and thought a lot of stuff and then deleted it. I wrote and deleted thoughts on the transition from an Enlightenment worldview to a postmodern one and quite probably beyond either of those now. I thought about the stereotypes of the baby boomers of Gen X, Gen Y and the millennials and how each generation is shaped and shapes by individuals and communities. I contemplated the significance of personality type and learning style preferences. I recognised factors such as education, ethnicity and experience and went round in more than a few circles, as you can imagine. 
I think where I ended up was a reminder that actually is also contained in the song. That each one of us, individually and collectively, is constrained by notions of our day and sect. Crude, partial and confined. Or, to put it another way, no matter how much we work at self-awareness, no matter how hard we try to understand our culture and context, and no matter how much we really try to be open-minded, we'll always fall short of our own endeavours. That shouldn't really surprise us that much. Because the, uh, the human propensity to foul things up, um, less polite versions are available if you've read the book, or in more traditional language, our sinful nature means that knowing more, understanding better and trying hard are never going to be enough. On our own, we just can't quite do it. We need other people and we need God. Each church guided by the Spirit. There is evidence to suggest that the early Baptists would quite often hear two or three short improvised sermons on the same passage in the same service. Some scripture would be read from a big Bible which would be slammed shut. And people would trust that God's Spirit was active in what emerged. It's not unlike some of the things that have emerged in Latin American-based communities or the more recent emergence of what's known as contextual Bible study. You read or listen to scripture. You allow the thoughts and ideas and questions that naturally emerge to be expressed and you talk about them. And then you think about how any of that relates to your life and your situation or what's going on in the news, what's going on next door. And you do so expecting that God's spirit is at work through the individuals involved. You expect that practical response and prayer will emerge from the conversation. Do you know, I'd love to try this one Sunday. Mm, Interesting. That's kind of the the expressions I was expecting. It's like, whoa, no, we don't want to do that. It could end up as an embarrassed silence or a shuffling of feet. Well, one day, maybe. I think there would be lots for us to gain by more communal and corporate Bible study done in an open, exploratory way that isn't just didactic, not just learning the stories, and certainly isn't dogmatic, saying, and this is what it means. I love, I love, love, love being part of the Thursday afternoon Bible study group. In fact, I have been known to say that if somebody had told me before I came here, this would be one of my highlights, I would have said, I don't think so. But this is a small group of women and the occasional man who very gamely take turns in leading and preparing studies in all sorts of styles. And there's great honesty. There's great humour. And there's always discovery. We take time to talk about what's going on in our own lives, about what's going on in the news around the world. We have a laugh, we drink tea, um, we eat lots of cake, and we pray. This isn't an earnest, learning, didactic thing, and it's not a pious huddle. It's like a community in miniature. 
of course, it takes time to build the kind of trust that allows questions to be asked and doubts to be expressed, to test out ideas, but it's really worthwhile. I think, I think that sometimes people are a little bit reluctant to try and start things. A kind of unspoken expectation that they, which means the minister or the managers, actually have to organise and approve everything. And that's, that's just not the case. Though, I mean, it's really good for us to know if there's a group of folk meeting so we can signpost each other and offer support and encouragement. But if, if you think this is what you'd fancy, but you, don't, you, know, you can't come on a Thursday afternoon, or you don't want to sit with my lovely older women, then that's fine. Turn it up some other way, some other place, but have a go. Because I think there is so much to discover by chatting around scripture together. But for all of us, even if we have an active, quiet time, even if we're part of a Bible study group, the truth of the matter is, the longest engagement we have with scripture week by week is usually the sermon. When for around about 20 minutes, we listen very carefully to the thoughts that have been prepared by somebody else. And we kind of trust them to do that carefully and prayerfully. When I began preaching, I remember somebody in the church I was then part of saying to me, well, I don't think you should be a preacher, because I just don't think you'll find something new to say every week. And then a few years later, uh, well, a lot of years later, when I moved to Glasgow, somebody said, and, and it was actually somebody in Glasgow, but not a member of this congregation, and hopefully in jest, well, of course, now you've got six years worth of sermons you can reuse, haven't you? People have some funny ideas, don't they, about preaching. But perhaps they capture something of the challenge. How do we just stop recycling the same stuff over and over and over? For me, how do I avoid just saying to you what I think you want to hear... And how do I avoid just bashing you over the head about the things that I want to say? How do I avoid becoming a slave to novelty, always looking for a new angle, always looking for some fancy idea, when actually what seems old to me could be new to somebody else? And actually, it might be good to hear some old things again. How do I avoid blowing with the wind, following every fad, when actually we can go back and revisit things in a healthy way. Above all, how do I remain open to discovering tiny weeny glimmers of light, the ethereal and embryonic new truths that God is revealing? Because the truth is, usually they are teeny weeny. The light bulb moments, the aha moments, are by definition quite rare. It's not always that easy, is it? I saw a cartoon um, on some social media yesterday, which I should have uh, downloaded and put up to show you at this point. It's a picture of a congregation, all attentively looking at the front. And uh, one of them says, you know, I disagree with that sermon when I heard it two years ago. I was impressed that somebody actually remembered a sermon from two years ago. Because if I'm honest, and if I think really hard, I think there are probably about a dozen sermons that stick in my mind. 
mostly for the right reasons, though one or two not. And it's a bit like, you know, the meals that we eat, we don't remember what we eat for dinner most of the time. We don't even remember what we ate at weddings and parties most of the time. But we know that we ate them and that they made a difference to us. And I think there's something like that about preaching. It's not going to be remembered. Half of you will have forgotten what I've said when you walk out the door, and that's fine, because guess what? By Wednesday, I probably will have as well. But at the time, it stirs something in us. God is active in it. This is part of the mystery of preaching. Perhaps, though, at the heart of this is something about an attitude, about how we come to hear preaching, to engage in worship, to listen for God's voice. It was the very wise Philip Beatty who reminded us we don't come to church to enjoy it. We come to church to worship God. And I think he'd probably say something about preaching that was like that as well and about Bible reading. We don't come to enjoy it necessarily. We come to listen for that hint of God's voice. And perhaps Carol Micklem's song with which we began is helpful as it says, Give to me, Lord, a thankful heart and a discerning mind. As we come to listen to scripture, to open ourselves up to God, ask for that openness to, that we might be surprised sometimes by more light and truth. This has actually turned out a bit longer than I planned. And I think it's more a reflection, a collection of thoughts than actually a sermon But at the heart of it is something about how do we together continue to try to discover what God is saying to us in this church or indeed other churches of which we are part. Part of what I love about Hillhead is the diversity. Though I have to admit that sometimes trying to handle all that drives me a little bit round bend. But I do love it. It's such a truly Baptist way of being a church. So I think what I want to say in finishing to myself and to all of us goes pretty much to our strap line, that we should endeavour to keep our hearts open and our minds open, never falling into the trap of thinking we fully understood or interpreted the scriptures. Instead, together and individually, We should aspire to embrace the mystery, live with the uncertainty, and recognize with the pilgrim fathers of old that the Lord hath yet more light and truth to break forth from his word. We're going to come now to God with our prayers for others and for each other. And there is a song response, which I think is familiar to most. Uh, It's on the sheet. I'll put it on the screen in a moment. Um, Christ be our light, shine in our hearts. Uh, We'll sing that through once, and then we will move on into our prayers. And the cue each time for the response, I will say the words, Christ be our light. So let us come to God in prayer.
longing for light, we wait in darkness. Longing for truth, we turn to you. Loving Lord, sometimes it feels as if the world is a very dark place in which lies, half-truths and skillful deception destroy hope, deny justice and instead promote violence and corruption. As we, your people, seek more light and truth from the words of scripture, from our relationship with Christ, make us your own, a holy people, light for the world to see. Christ, be our light. Longing for peace, our world is troubled. Longing for hope, many despair. Loving Lord, if we were able to name all the troubled places in your world, we would never ever come to an end. We think of those affected by the Ebola epidemic in West Africa and of the Scottish nurse Pauline Cafferty being treated in London. Conscious of the huge disparity in resources available and the equal human cost wherever they are. We think of people who experience violence or discrimination both in other lands and here on our own doorstep because of their ethnicity, their religion, their worldview, or their personhood. In situations of injustice and discrimination, make us your living voice. Christ be our light. food and water, many are hungry and thirsty. Longing for shelter and warmth, many are cold and homeless. Loving Lord, when will it end? When will the food banks and the soup kitchens close? When will there be no need for night shelters or refugee camps? When will we do for the least of your little ones 
what we would have them do for us. Make us a shelter. Make us like bread. Serving until all needs are met. Christ be our light. Many the people, many the hearts that long to belong. Loving Lord, in the silence of our hearts, we name before you people and places that are dear to us. Christ be our light. prayers in the name of Christ, the light who could not be overcome by darkness. Amen. As we step forward into a new year with hopes and dreams, aspirations and ambitions, bless us with the willingness and energy to bring more light and more truth to our part of your world now and always.